Welcome to Live Yes with Arthritis from the Arthritis Foundation. You may have arthritis, but it doesn't have you. Here, you'll learn things that can help you improve your life and turn no into yes. This podcast is part of the Live Yes Arthritis Network, a growing community of people like you who really care about conquering arthritis once and for all. Our hosts are arthritis patients, Rebecca and Julie. Listen in. Welcome to the Live Yes with Arthritis podcast. I'm Rebecca, an occupational therapist living with rheumatoid arthritis. And I'm Julie, a JA patient who's passionate about making sure all patients have a voice. We are so excited to have you here today to talk about relationships and how to navigate them when you have arthritis. Communicating with your loved ones can be really tricky any day, but especially true when you have a chronic condition. Yes, when you have pain, it's hard to communicate that with your loved ones, much less anybody outside of the home. So how can we go about doing that? We're excited to have Katie willard Verant, who is a practicing psychotherapist in St. Louis and specializes in working with people with chronic diseases. She is a licensed clinical social worker and also has a law degree. Thanks so much for joining us today, Katie. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. We're so excited to have you here today to talk about relationships and how people with arthritis can navigate their relationship with their own body as they navigate relationships with their loved ones, their friends, their partners, and so on. Well, thanks. I like how you spoke about navigating the relationship with one's body as we navigate relationships with others, because I do think that our relationship with ourselves it all starts there, right? What does that mean to somebody, your relationship with yourself? I think those of us who live with chronic disease, and I include myself in that number, I have Crohn's disease. So I am familiar with living with illness personally and also professionally. What I see in a lot of relationships where one of the parties has chronic illness is that the person with chronic illness often has a depletion of self-esteem and self-worth. They're afraid to advocate for themselves, feeling that Perhaps they don't deserve what they need, that they need too much. Working with those feelings and having self-compassion for the grief, the sorrow, the hard lot that, that many of us live can often help people feel more comfortable, more deserving, and um, be able to communicate those needs to loved ones. Whenever I think about navigating relationships, it really comes down to being confident in my sense of identity as someone living with arthritis, right? It's a matter of thinking about how I, as myself, navigate my world living with arthritis and being really comfortable saying to people, hey, I have this invisible illness. took me years and years to really get uh, comfortable saying that and really the Arthritis Foundation resources to be able to find a community where that resonated. What tips might you have for someone who's starting to think about really being open in their vulnerability with their disease? You know, I think that therapy is a big help. That's a lot of the work that I do with people. Finding a space where nothing is off limits, where these hard feelings, often things that are hard to even think about, never mind say, can be said, can be talked about, can be seen, can be brought into the light of day. Having even one person 
a spouse, a, a relative, a friend. If therapy is not something that somebody wants to do or for whatever reason isn't able to do, finding at least one person who will allow you to have a space to talk about these things. If saying these things to another person feels overwhelming, writing is very useful. Having a file on your computer, having a notebook, uh, writing various feelings that come up, not censoring yourself. So it's a matter of even just getting those feelings out into the world, whether you're actually sharing it with somebody or not, starting there is important. Absolutely. And uh, there are a couple of reasons for that. One is, you know, when you're a kid and you're in your room and you kind of think there's a monster in your room and your parent turns on the light (laughs) and says, it's not a monster, it's the pile of clothes in the corner. These things that we can't think, these things that we can't allow ourselves to feel, feel are monsters. They're monsters in our mind. And when we turn them the light on, when we say them, when we bring them into the light of day, we often find that they're much less terrifying and much more manageable. And also another reason for bringing them into the light of day is it's easier to communicate with other people. When, we, when we've named it, when we've processed it, we have words. These monsters kind of evolve as we go through different chapters of our life. When I was growing up with juvenile arthritis, it was figuring out how to communicate with kids on the playground what my monster was. Uh, When I was in college, it was talking with professors about what this meant in a classroom setting. In my early career, it's been about how to talk about it at work or with my my family members or with my, uh, my partner. How do you kind of hone the skills to talk about these monsters with different audiences? That's a good question because there are different audiences. And I think it starts early on. For people diagnosed later, those are skills that they haven't developed. There's a sense that they, they're starting from scratch. One of the things that really helped me in figuring out how to share my story is it's funny to me because it was really learning how to advocate for myself by going to Capitol Hill and talking mm. to legislators and sharing about what policies could change to make lives better for people with arthritis around the country. I was sharing my story with these people of power, major decision makers, right? But I might not have been so comfortable sharing that same story with one of my friends or my partner or whoever it might have been. It's identifying those safe spaces to have that conversation, hone the skill, and then apply it everywhere you can. (laughs) Sprinkle it wherever you can. I like to um, use the metaphor of taking up space Sometimes it can be helpful to think visually, how much space are we taking up? I think often people who live with illness sort of contract into ourselves. There's a sense of not being worthy to take up space in the room, in the job, in the country, whatever. When you spoke about that, your advocacy on Capitol Hill, I was imagining you were taking up space with your words. You were, you were communicating that you're a person of value and that what you have to say is of value. When you have a chronic disease, when you're first diagnosed, You do go through kind of those stages of grief, but it happens all the time. It happens every time you find out you need a new surgery or you have to switch medication because your medication isn't working. Yeah. Is there something that you can help help our listeners with dealing with, you know, you get you have to accept what you have and then you get mad about it. But then, you know, there's. Feelings of depression and anxiety that kind of come along. Wanes, right? It it takes a while to get to that point of acceptance. So, how how do we get people there? 
You know, I, I don't know that we ever truly get to acceptance. I think as you indicated, we go in and out of these feelings. I think we ride those waves all the time. We shut ourselves off and it's it's counterproductive, but allowing ourselves to lean into wherever we are and just accept it as part of the journey, I think can be very freeing. I think that's a really magnificent point is to lean in and feel what you're feeling and be open to the idea that it will wax and it will wane over time. And I don't think that's necessarily unique to just the patient. I think that that happens for the people who love the patient as well. Do you have some tips maybe for some caregivers that they might use to get to that acceptance level and check in as well? I think talking about it um, together there are lots of times I think that I'm thinking of where one partner has a, a chronic disease. I, there can be times when each is trying to protect the other. So the person living with illness says, well, I, I'm worried about this or I'm feeling down about this, but they already do so much for me. I don't want to bother them. And the partner too might be worried and say, I can't put this on them. They've got enough. So there's a way that they're both in their own corners and sort of coming back together and sharing the worry sharing the feelings can can actually feel quite helpful and bring create more intimacy bring people together i'm very good at you know go big or go home and wanting to do all of the things and my husband is my check all yes. the time of do you think that's really a smart idea maybe you should rest like yeah. that can wait you don't need to do that <laughs> now uh, are you sure that's a realistic goal for you yes. <laughs> and then a lot of times, you know, we meet halfway and, you know, we, okay, well, maybe you're right. <laughs> um, and so it, it brings me back down to earth. <laughs> yes. I think it's really helpful to recognize that. And I think there's a real strong level of intimacy that works when, um, when that happens in a family, when the disease is seen as not just belonging to the person who suffers from it, but is shared by the family members. I like to say, like, how do we turn this from one person's problem into everybody's problem, everybody's issue. And that probably helps with the pain, the physical and the emotional pain. Rebecca, I wonder, can you talk a little bit about how being a parent with arthritis, how that affects your relationship with your son and what that looks like? You know, that's one of the things I see a lot of people share about on some of these support groups and, and, and threads that I follow is people always feel like I'm not the mom that I am. I was, I always imagined I was going to be, and I can't participate in all the things that, you know, Mm -hmm. my son and my husband can go do. And it's a really hard thing to accept. My son has been, he was born into all of this. And when he was one and a half, I had two surgeries that year. So he's seen mom through lots of surgeries at the hospital. And as he's gotten older, I see how it can affect him even more. But the one thing that I really notice is he is the most empathetic child I've ever seen. He Aww. gets it. And just being able to communicate, well, mom can't do this, you know, so we find other things to do. And he understands and he knows that. And and he's 11 now, but if I pick him up from school and he can see I'm tired, he'll even say, mom, when we get home, you should probably rest. Aww. And my husband is so great at setting an example for him of, you know, mom doesn't feel great today. We're going to let her rest. And Mm -hmm. it gave me a different lens because it was somebody else who pointed it out to me. Like, I feel like I don't don't get to go skiing with them. I don't get to do some of these physical things that aren't great for me to do. But 
we go hiking together and we do other things together right. to have time. But because we're so open about it and I'm very comfortable with sharing my story, obviously, it's made my son very open about it. And yeah. he can talk about it to people too. And he loves to go volunteer at our walk every year. And he loves to go help out with these things that we do. And I think that it's it really has made it easier, I think, in the family. Yeah. That's such an interesting perspective also because you had arthritis for your son's whole life. And Katie, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how families cope with a new diagnosis uh, if a parent gets sick or if a child gets sick and how you learn to communicate in your new normal. Sure. It changes everything. I do think it's it's different when a child is born into a family where there is this pre-existing condition And when, as you say, a parent gets sick or a child gets sick, there's a grief process that has to be gone through together. At some point, the family needs to come together and share and respect the different processes and come to define a new normal. And that can be concrete things. Um, You know, mom used to be able to do this. Unfortunately, she can't do this anymore. So we're going to change things around. And also making space for the feelings. There's maybe a sense of anger. It might mean finding a space to talk about it, to process the feelings that you have with your spouse, with a therapist, with a friend, but sort of allowing um, children to to experience that anger and disappointment. Yeah. And how would you suggest people on a daily basis manage that? One of the things that's really hard when you have chronic pain is feeling like you're always talking about your pain. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I think it's important when we're ha- we have daily pain to have a safe space. And sometimes the pain is going to be so bad that the safe space isn't going to cut it. I think there are internal safe spaces if people are using visualization, meditation. I think also having people who are safe spaces. For many people, it's a spouse, um, a best friend, a family member, where you know that they're a person who can see you. Uh, in all of your pain and you can truly vent to them and get out the feelings that are inside. I think that's right. It all starts with trust. Just kind of knowing those boundaries and relying on the people in your life to respect them. Yes, absolutely. We know this, that in the pain cycle, if pain's not controlled, you know, our emotions get involved. It spirals out of control. There's a lot of fear, sometimes panic. So I like for people to have concrete ways of managing pain, using heat, taking medication, um, icing, what, whatever, resting for a lot of people. I think having a plan sometimes, having tactics that we know might at least calm it down a little can be really helpful. Yeah. And it's great if you're communicating that within the family and you have a way to gauge how you're doing that day. Sure. Our moods fluctuate throughout the day. Our energy levels fluctuate throughout the day. And I think our culture doesn't give us a lot of space and a lot of models for checking in with ourselves and understanding that things go up and down. I think one of the things that's been most helpful for me also in having relationships where I have to explain what it feels like to have arthritis is also having some balance and having some relationships with people who also live with arthritis, who just get it. <laughs> I don't have to say, oh, this is this is what an eight means on the pain scale or, oh, this stiffness feels like this, right? And a lot of that comes down to community resources, things like connect groups and our online community forum and getting involved in in-person events like the Walk to Cure Arthritis or Juvenile Arthritis Conferences. 
It's super important because there there is an energy in explaining. It's kind of a second language. Even people close to us, right? Like they don't live with it. There's a way that their brain has to translate a little bit and our brain has to translate a little bit to communicate. We just yeah. did. They, they have walked in your shoes. Yeah. Yes. yeah. <laughs> I always tell people the best thing you could do is get connected with people like you. I think so too. And in, in many people, I see a resistance, at least initially after diagnosis, to join a support group or to get involved with the um, community. I think that can be part of the process, a part of denial, maybe. Like, I'm not like them. Maybe it'll be depressing. I think you're so right. And what I realize in being involved with the Arthritis Foundation is that there are so many gateways to make it more comfortable. So you don't have to jump in head first and do the whole thing all at once. You can kind of stick your toe into the water, get comfortable and use some new resources and new community connections in your life to really get into a network of people who can really help and support you as you live with your, your condition. Yeah, if they are not ready to share, at least they're getting ideas from other people who are going through it. I mean, I do this myself. There's one group that I'm in on one of the social media channels and somebody posted about going to Disney World with her family and how worried she was about how that was going to put her in a tailspin with flares. And I don't always post, but I did and mm-hmm. because I just went to Universal with my son and I chose to ask for the extra help and to use a wheelchair because I knew my day would be more enjoyable if I wasn't in pain. And so I shared that with this person and other people were also chiming in, you know, it's energy conservation. I had an amazing time with Mm. my son and my husband because I didn't cause myself more pain. Right. Right. And you probably offered that person a more comfortable day with their family when they went to that park because representation is everything. Saying, I did it so you can too, provides permission to someone when they're experiencing something that they just don't know how to navigate this thing or what to do. I think that people, as they become more involved, as they join support groups, become involved in the foundation, there are ways... That representation is very, it it offers some strength. There's a sense of, I'm not the only one. There are many of us. uh, So the system needs to change. I think when we feel alone, there's a sense of we have to change. And maybe we can change it together. You bet. (laughs) That's right. There's there's one question I want to ask you about. Um, We did at our Conference of Champions, I led a group about communicating with loved ones. And one of the things that got asked that I thought was such a great question is, my caregiver is always taking care of me. How do I take care of them? That's a great question. I think for people that are emotionally intelligent, often I've seen this in people that I treat, people that are more introverted, people that are quieter by nature, there's a way that there's a bit of an easier emotional adjustment because they're already offering things like a listening ear, emotional support, the things that have traditionally made them feel good about themselves and made them feel like they have something to offer aren't impacted as much. For the people who have traditionally been doers and showers and that's their love language, that can be more challenging. There's a lot to grieve. There's a lot of loss there. And there may be a sense of rebuilding identity. 
Yes, it's like arthritis has its own love language that you, the person <laughs> living with arthritis, has to figure out, and also one that you have to learn how to translate. Your insights into what it's like living with arthritis can make a life-changing difference for yourself and others. Help choose topics for future podcast episodes and change the future of arthritis resources and research. Take just a few minutes to make a change. Arthritis.org slash insights. What are some key takeaways in managing relationships, navigating these relationships with others when we're living with arthritis? The first one that comes to mind is the one that we started the conversation with, and that's maintaining a relationship with yourself. It sounds so silly because we walk around in our bodies all day. (laughs) Um, Some of the ways that I would suggest maybe doing writing pages, if that feels uncomfortable, listening to music, doing some art. It could be something as simple as looking through an art book, finding ways to connect with yourself quietly doesn't have to be any big deal. Could be going out and sitting in a garden and listening to birds. Whatever feels authentic. Find those smiles. Yes. And I think with that, there's a sense if we don't value ourselves, it's hard to take up space to ask for others to value us. So the sense of I'm important enough to take up space. And I also know myself. I know what will soothe me. I think can be really powerful. This has been an amazing conversation today. Thank you so much for helping us navigate communicating in our relationships. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. I enjoyed it. One of the best ways, I think, to connect with other people like you, especially when you're newly diagnosed, is by joining some kind of online support group. The Arthritis Foundation has the Live Yes Arthritis Network community online forum, and it's a great way to get connected with other people. And if you're looking for more than an online discussion thread, you can get involved in our in-person support groups. They're called Live Yes Connect Groups, and we have them all over the country. Get involved and look up on arthritis.org to see if there's a community group near you, because talking to someone who understands it face-to-face, somebody who can be your partner in this, that's an invaluable thing. And if you find there isn't a support group in your area, these groups are actually volunteer-led, and you could start one. So go to arthritis.org slash live yes. Get connected. This Live Yes with Arthritis podcast was brought to you by the trusted experts of the Arthritis Foundation. We're bringing together leaders in the arthritis community to help you make a difference in your own life in ways that make sense. You may have arthritis, but it doesn't have you. The Arthritis Foundation would like to thank Janssen and Sanofi Genzyme Regeneron for sponsoring today's episode. Go to arthritis.org slash liveyespodcast for episodes and show notes. And stay in touch. 